Daryl C. Thompson has solidified a sound reputation as an artist in the Northeastern Caribbean. However, he is a sage of sorts. Not only does Daryl run his family's business successfully, but he has used his experience and education to assist young entrepreneurs to start their ventures the right way. Do you need to rebrand? Ask Daryl. Would you like a beautiful painting? Ask Daryl. Need a new logo? You guessed it. Ask Daryl. Daryl is a source for all things creative. The artist, entrepreneur, and startup guru was raised in the Caribbean between three islands. Though the status quo and culture would encourage traditional career paths, Daryl took the road less traveled. Not only studying art at university, but returning to the Caribbean to pursue an entire career steeped in everything colorful and textured. Daryl's love for painting and curiosity eventually led him to graphic design. He admits that this sector seemed more promising financially. And of course, that never hurts. He has taken the sum of all he has learned and has quietly changed the way new businesses brand and represent themselves on Anguilla, his island home. After years of directing others, Daryl, the branding expert, has entered new waters. He has decided to rebrand himself. Daryl has become a model. Brands are now seeking him out to represent their products. Though he has adjusted well to his new role, he is still tickled by the fact that he is now being directed, as opposed to being the director. Entrepreneur, painter, model, and father, Daryl C. Thompson has had a fascinating life thus far, but he's nowhere done with exploring what else life has to offer. This is the story, thus far, of Daryl C. Thompson. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. graphic designer, but much, much more. He's an all-around artist and good guy. Daryl Thompson, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you for having me on the planet, Crispin. I'm glad I'm allowed. Anytime, brother. Anytime. So, Daryl, you grew up in the Caribbean. Uh, tell us more about that. We do have guests from the Caribbean uh, more often than not, but you, in particular, grew up on more than one island, and you actually grew up in the smaller islands. What was that experience like? Well, um, you know, it was the experience. It was the way of life until I ventured into bigger islands and bigger territories. It was just obviously my norm. Um, I grew up, I was born in St. Croix, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Lived there for just a few months of my baby life. And then I moved over to Tortola in the British Virgin Islands. Moved from there at the age of six, and I moved to Anguilla, another British territory. And that's pretty much where the majority of my um, my upbringing and my rearing took place. I have Kittitian parents, so between growing up in Anguilla with the cultures of that um, and 
the teachings and the ways of Ketishan parents and family. I mean, like I find most Northern Caribbean or lesser or Leeward Island, rather, Caribbean um, folk, we're very mixed up in terms of our cultures and our exposures, you know? Um, but it's it's a very, all of them are small territories, some smaller than others. And the concept of, I guess, always being relatively safe, and I say that in quotations, because someone always knows you wherever you're going, uh, and someone's either, either got your back or minding your business, <laughs> whichever, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very safe haven in comparison to moving into bigger countries where you are very much on your own. No one is watching you like that um, for the good or the bad, and you kind of have to make sure you have your P's and Q's in check. Interesting. So very cocooned, you say? say. Quite so. Very good description. Yep, I would say that. Mm -hmm. When did your uh, parents sort of realize that they had an artist on their hands? (laughs) Probably before I even thought about it. Um, They definitely, I would say that my parents actively got me into my very first art class. Um, when I was eight, when they enrolled me in a painting class. Mm. Prior to that, I I was always drawing. You know, I was I was another kid that drew in the back of his exercise book in school. You know how that went. <laughs> and I definitely did a lot of that. <laughs> um, but again, though, even just after school, I would go to my mom's office and I would be hanging out waiting for her to finish work. And I would just be doodling on any piece of scrap paper that I could find and I would take it to the other level where I would like create these comic books and these huge scenarios. Um, I was very, very, very obsessed with fighting games as a kid. Like Street Fighter was my favorite video game. So I always had this vision and I don't knock it. Maybe it could still happen. But I always had this vision of creating my own little Street Fighter and I called it Caribbean Fighter. (laughs) And I always drew all the characters designed all their outfits, figure out where they were from, you know, Jamaica, Anguilla, St. Thomas, and divide, design all their moves and all that kind of stuff. Um, and these are the kind of things that I just kept doing, like just really, I was very much always in my head creating, imagining scenarios and just kind of outputting things onto paper. And I guess seeing a lot of that, my parents kind of decided to nudge me in a direction. Um, see how it played out and that's when i went to my painting class at the age of eight where my um my teacher my painting teacher her name was lynn birnbaum um and we're still very good friends to this day the lynn birnbaum the lynn birnbaum and this is where i learned watercolors my very first painting medium and um when i get to paint i'm still messing around with those today interesting now at any point did your parents sort of say well, we're not sure if art's the way to go. Because, you know, many Caribbean parents don't encourage, uh, you know, I'll go on a limb and say that, they don't necessarily always encourage their uh, children to pursue careers in art or entertainment. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, all those creative things, they, they aren't they aren't secure. Um, that's fun. Great hobby, you know. <laughs> but I am so fortunate that I never had parents like that. Even if they felt that way, they never expressed that to me. Mm. And I can say now as a parent, I can definitely say that 
I would understand if they had those concerns simply because, I mean, come on, we know the world we live in right now, Crispin. It's a struggle doing anything that you're doing. But oh, yeah. you, there is a level of security in the staple go and do a business subject or be a doctor, be a lawyer, get to be a teacher because you're almost guaranteed a job. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going into that more secure route. It's completely understandable. I understand, yeah. But you're not encouraged in this part of the world, I have to say, to go and take the chance that you need to take that with the right dedication and the right ambition um, and the right personality, you, um, you can go very far or at least enjoy every part of your life doing so and actually be happy, <laughs> you know? Um, my parents have never made me feel as though being a creative or an artist was not the way to go. And I've definitely come across some colleagues and friends of mine that were discouraged in that, right? Amazingly talented people. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate for that. Um, they have encouraged me every single step of the way into classes, into competitions, me using my time for that purpose. Never at all was I swayed to do anything else. My mother is an accountant. She never at any point pushed me to try to become an accountant at any point. My dad is a hotelier. Nope. I mean, these are, especially in Anguilla, these jobs are, you'll definitely make some money and you'll definitely be secure. But they knew that wasn't me. Shout out to, to, to Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. <laughs> you know, I always I always say, though, that uh, you know, people always ask me, you know, what, why, why is it that you do art, Crispin? Uh, you, you know, you do all these creative things. Why do you do art? I said, oh, well, first of all, art is not what I do. It's who I am. There you go. And Thank so you. that sort of shuts it down. <laughs> I love it. As, as a kid, though, I like how you said you you would take characters for Street Fighter, et cetera, and kind of uh, modify them to your own liking. But which which leads me to my next question: What are uh, some of your what were some of your favorite cartoons or anime coming up? Well, I was never into anime like that mm. <laughs> um, specifically, and of course, a lot of my other friends were just like, "Huh, what?" But cartoons, I used to. I mean, I don't think I had a long driving interest in cartoons now that i really think about it i did always watch the staple bugs bunny and looney tunes i mean that was definitely a part of my life um and kind of everything that used to come on either on saturday morning or you know like early in the afternoon like nicktoons like doug and rugrats religiously i used to watch those a lot um and then i was always very much into the action cartoons though like, not necessarily the anime, but I liked, um, gosh, what was it? I loved He-Man. <sighs> He-Man and the She-Ra series. I don't know if you remember them. Oh, of course. I loved He-Man. Like, I was all about He-Man. I definitely did a lot of Power Rangers, even though they weren't cartoons. <laughs> um, and VR Troopers and all of that. I did those religiously. I did occasionally dabble in Thundercats. Um, those Hanna-Barbera cartoons, I did watch a lot of those, but like Thundercats and Voltron, I know those are, those are anime, but probably the only type that I really did. I was not a Dragon Ball Z guy. Pokemon was okay. <laughs> so. Interesting, you know? interesting, interesting. 
So it was a Mortal Kombat cartoon. Yes, yes there was. Watch. Yes, there was. Yep, I, I watched that just because I was I loved Mortal Kombat as well. So, and so uh, I'm assuming you were into video games as well. I was um, probably more so because I wasn't allowed to have them at home. <laughs> ah, so, the, the forbidden fruit. I, oh yes, so I was very much into them, and I think that's even what the draw was, um, because. Whenever I went over to friends' house, I would, um, they, you know, everybody else had video games. So while it wasn't a big deal for them, you know, we could go do something else. Let's go outside. I was like, yeah, we could, but I mean, you know, the sun's a little hot right now. You don't want to just chill here and stay on the Sega Genesis and play some Mortal Kombat 2 or some Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, no, Killer Instinct. The man said no? the Sega Genesis. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Tekken? Are you kidding me? Love to be some Tekken, man. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> you, you, you're this kid that that loves to draw. You're into video games. You, you you know you love your cartoons. And then you mentioned earlier your parents sent you to Lynn Birnbaum's um, class. <laughs> and Lynn Birnbaum, of course, is a brilliant artist in resident. Well, who resides on Anguilla? How did even at, at such a tender age? How did that class change your perspective as to sort of what art could really do and what art could really be? Uh, well, you know, here's the interesting thing. I, I always find myself very observant with where things are placed. And um, so, for example, I, um, when I entered the class... The environment felt nothing like a place where I should have been drawing cartoon characters or, you know, video game characters. That was not the environment. That was not the Zen. That was not the energy. And so that is not what I was even driven to do. That whole vibe and feeling for me was somewhere else. So we're in there. We've got our, you know, um, Lynn had some nice incense in the in the room to set that mood percent and then she had some nice soft mood music playing um we always got a little bit of popcorn and a glass of lemonade and then we had our watercolor set up and um she started by of course teaching us simple watercolor techniques and then the second half of the class mostly she kind of just let us do what we needed to do and by all by that point you're you're just i don't for some reason i started to think more in the direction of if I took this piece and I put it in a frame is someone going to buy it? Especially being surrounded by a specific type of art in Anguilla which is what people came to Anguilla or who of course resided in Anguilla were more interested in mm -hmm. I, I, I immediately started to think of if I make this piece is someone going to buy it? And right. I, think, I thought about my environment and I'm this is a cool idea, but I don't really feel like doing this. And then it's just there and I could do this and it'd still be good. And I still like it. And then someone else likes it and they want to buy it. And then it can go on. You see, it's so interesting because I have never been one of those artists that paints something that they love so much that they don't want to part with. Right. I have always, yeah, I've never been that. I have always liked the fact that I, um, I'll paint something someone loves it they appreciate it 
and they want it to be a part of their life. So it's like I'm painting. I'm giving you this piece of me and my perspective of, of me and the world. Um, and if it resonates with you, yes, please, it's yours. I'll take a beautiful picture of it and I will have it in my portfolio. And if I need to resell it in some way, I will have a good enough image of it that I can make prints of it. And I'll work the business angle from that end. And funny enough, I've always thought like that. So, so many of my other colleagues, even at that time, they painted very differently. Like, and I, I always think about it when I say this to people, it sounds like, did you even really do it because you loved it? I was like, I love it. I love it to this day. It's just that I was very intentional with it, if you understand what I'm mm-hmm, saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's just how I've always been. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like, I, I want to make sure I, I, I want to, I'm very conscious of my time. So it's like, I want to make sure I'm painting something that while I can admire it, and if it never sells, I'll love it and have it. But it's something that I think could actually make a difference. It's funny enough, because only recently am I doing things that I, um, I consider to be well, let me say this. I always found like I did things which kind of fit into the mold, but they were different enough. But I find I'm doing stuff right now that are far more different to what somebody's going to want to come down here and buy. I'm not doing the beaches and the palm trees. And even though one of my biggest sellers were old Caribbean houses, like I don't have any of my Caribbean houses anymore. They're all somewhere in the world. Mm. Um, will I try to do more of them? I can't say that I won't, but... I don't feel that it's a challenge for me at this point. Um, and I don't think that that is really, as an artist, me opening up anybody's mind to any other perspectives of views of what it would be to get art when you come to Anguilla kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Right. Dare to be different. <laughs> Gotta keep that happening. <laughs> so at age 14, like amazingly, your talent is recognized and you had your first solo show i mean who does that at age 14 how how, how did that even feel at age 14 to know that a gallery was dedicating this space to you a 14 year old well my first feeling was how on earth and what kind of connections do my parents have that they were even able to get this done Mm -hmm. that was my first thought because i i owe that to them as most things in my current um, state in life, especially my creative direction. Um, it was definitely connections that they had. And obviously, despite its connections, I'm, you know, you don't get to these places without the, the um, sorry, the, um, the artist, mm-hmm. the gallery owner, sorry, being on par with everything else that's happening. You know, they were paying attention to me for quite a bit. And obviously for them, it would have done well to house a young artist in this capacity. So I was very fortunate that I was that person that resonated with them. Um, but it was it was probably the part of my life that secured in my head that this could happen. Like I could actually be a fine artist, a watercolor artist, a painter, and it could be my living. And this is who I could be. Um, and I put everything into it. Even then, I I promoted myself. I tried to make sure that I was the most approachable and, um, you know, cutest kid that I could be. Just milked what I could milk. <laughs> um, because I saw that being 
a huge possibility and a huge future. So to know that this was something that I know established grown-up artists still had not been able to do because it was a big gallery. It was in a prime location. It was with it was probably one of the most popular galleries in St. Kitts at the time. And it was two floors of this beautiful old building. I mean, it was forever short it had to be. I couldn't ask for much more at that age, so. The 14-year-old artist in residence. Can you imagine? So, you're 14 years old, you had your first solo show, Everything is Looking Grand, and then you yeah. ship off to Hartwick College in upstate New York. Now, first of all, not many Caribbean kids go to upstate New York. <laughs> change of environment to say the least how was the uh how was the culture i wouldn't say shock but it was was there culture shock and 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 then also i want you to comment about on um how your how your exposure to art in college kind of changed your perspective yet again so culture shock um not really and I would have to attest that to, I was fortunate to frequent the United States at least once a year. Um, trips, vacations, visiting family, not necessarily to New York. So I will say that maybe, maybe, I, maybe I can call it culture shock because I originally, when I went to, I was visiting Hartwick, I, I, I felt like I was doing my parents a huge favor by even visiting the school. I knew I wasn't. I, I didn't think I was going to like it. And during our movements, I mean, it was already complicated enough because we went in November of 2001. 2001 yep, 2001, which was literally the November after September 11th, right? Yeah. Right, right, right? So travel was, you know, finicky. And so it was already a long day. And then now I'm driving two hours at night in a cab and I'm watching the lights become less... And I'm watching the trees become, as I said, then deader because it was November. So there were no leaves and I'm seeing mountains and I'm seeing a light here in the middle of there. I'm seeing a barn there and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this is not happening. <laughs> so I can say that now, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to wait. Visited school the next day. I was immediately sold. I didn't tell my parents that for another three months, though. Um, but it was... I think then is kind of when I went through what I would have gone through in terms of culture shock, just because of the change in location and those little things, which is funny because it's not like you don't know that this is where you're going just by education, watching TV, all that kind of stuff. But now I'm in it. Yeah. Experience so, is, is a difference. Exactly. So then going, going to school now, um, to say this, I've always found myself around different types of people growing up on a hotel property i was always around different people from different parts of the world so relating to different cultures was never something that was tough for me i honestly speak to people like i speak to everybody the same like you're a person and i speak to you and we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation and i've never had issues relating to people of different ethnicities ages not really a place of discomfort for me um, so that made it pretty easy for me to go to this predominantly white school where they had less than 15% people who were black, Hispanic, um, and any other race. Um, it didn't even phase me. 
Like I wasn't, I didn't need to go and find where the black people were. I didn't need to go find where the Caribbean people were. I moved up here because I wanted a different experience, not the one I just came from, you know? Right. So I entered it with that mentality already. And I was very much the token black guy many times. And did I feel that way? I never did. I never felt that people made me feel that way either. Um, so I was, I, I enjoy, I like that experience. And funny enough, I almost felt more paid attention to when I hung out with some of my black and Hispanic friends more than anything. Um, and that's just because they had very different upbringings and different cultures and experiences in life than I did. Right. So, and on the art, on the, on the art front. Yes, of course. So, you know, it's not about sunshine and pretty palm trees down there. It's, um, you know, we're in the mountains. <laughs> we're in the mountains. There's fall colors. There's rivers. It's cold. They got bears, skunks, you know, stuff like that. So it was the mood was just all very different. I found that other than your beautiful, you know, landscapes that we can produce, if I want to compare, you know, painting beaches and stuff versus painted mountains, that wasn't even as much as you would think. We've now entered a world where free thinking, especially as a creative, is praised. Where I will never forget, and bless her, my high school art teacher, Kathleen Sotio, mm -hmm. love her to death, and we are still in contact today. She had a lot of trouble with me because I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But she said straight to me, I hope she doesn't kill me for this if she hears this, that that's great, but I want you to get a one, Daryl. And <laughs> I was like, what? And of course, for anybody who doesn't know, it's um, this is the Caribbean Examination Council, and getting a one is the highest grade you can get taking these exams. So she's like, that's beautiful, but I want you to get a one. After that, you can do whatever you want to do. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. This is art. Like, I should be able to do what I'm feeling. And in my explanation and my critique or my conversation, you will either resonate with it or you don't. That's how this works. Look, 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 look at you trying to throw off, off of Miss Sotrio's um, uh, pass, pass percentage. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But it's like she, she was... She was. She knew my potential, and two of my other classmates. We gave her some of the same struggle because we were artists, and we wanted to do expressive artist things, like give our angle of something, which is what artists do, especially fine artists. But she wanted us to get that recognition, and then we can go out into the world. And I completely understand it. And we did what we had to do, even sometimes, you know, to my struggle, because it drove me mad. I got my one. I was very fortunate to get that grade, so I was happy for that. But she knew that per our society and per our demographic, the ones who were marking these exams were going to be looking for very specific things. And it was very boxed in. There was not really a lot of room for express expressionism or abstract art or any of those things that too far away from realism mm. and for me I always tell people for example photorealism unbelievable I respect anybody who can do photorealism because that is an amazing talent I 
have not mastered that talent at all. However, I'm never impressed with photorealism because, well, I could take a really nice picture and I can get the same effect. Because sometimes, or most times, if you don't look closely to this painting, you may not even tell that it's a painting or a drawing. So I always say, you know, the creator, he does photorealism. He, he's created it. But right. if I want to now give my impression of that same tree, it needs to look like Daryl's tree. Not somebody, not the Lord's tree, not the creator's tree, my tree. <laughs> you know, because I'm now recreating this image in my form. And so I've never felt the drive to create these conformed images. Um, but I find that in our lovely Caribbean society, especially when I was in high school, if you didn't see those things, then you weren't rated. Now we're in upstate New York where everybody's individual personality is welcomed. You want to put a piercing here. The first time I saw stretch earlobes is when I went to school. <laughs> like, what is going on? Is that a condition? But, um, you know, colored here, just however you want to dress. And then, you know, sometimes people we consider to be very unapproachable, completely tatted, completely pierced out. And then you talk to these people and they're probably one of the most approachables and nicest people you have ever even met in your life. They're literally just allowed to express themselves. And then that carries right in to what they create. And what it really was, like my painting professor, I, this one really hit me. My painting professor really showed me that the world of art cannot be judged or graded by a particular scale, unless, of course, you get an assignment and you're told to draw a tree and the tree's got to be green. And somehow in your impression or your depiction of this tree, you do not hit those checkpoints. And of course, these things are decided when you have your critique, because art is still whatever it is you're putting forward. So if somehow you can paint an orange tree and in your critique show that it is green or hits that nail, well, then guess what? Check because that's how art goes, or it should. He really showed me that everybody is judged and graded against themselves when it comes to the creative arts. A in my junior year, I was usually, not usually, I was great at all of my art classes. I had no problems. I didn't know anything beyond an A in any of my studio classes. My junior year, I took on a little bit more than I should have, and I got my first B in my drawing works on paper class. Now, I wanted to know what that was about because I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> so I went and spoke to my professor, Phil Young, who I'm still in contact with today, an amazing guy. And he, he looked at me and he said, I've been your painting professor for the last two and a half years and I know what your work is and I know what you can do based on anything that I give you. And that is not, that's not you. That's not even you evolving. So I think you need to look at some things and reassess a couple things that may be distracting you from your direction. And I'll see you in painting three next class. <laughs> and I was just like, this man, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you telling me? And I just really sat down and thought about it. And I thought about everything else that I was doing. And... Uh, this was the time that I actually added my visual communications concentration to my major. So here I am now doing two 
relatively different forms of art and creative output mm -hmm. where I'm in the fine art world where it's like, here, have a piece of me, Daryl Thompson, the artist versus visual communication, blah, visual communications is all right. This is what you want, Mr. Sir client. Let me give you what you want. I'll tweak this and angle this in this way per my understanding or my expertise. Mm -hmm. And I think you should go in this way. Of course, if you don't want that, we'll go back to what you want because that's how that goes. So I think I was trying to understand how I, as a creative, can manage through those very opposite forms of art and creativity. Um, and that is how I got a little distracted on my creative direction when it came to my painting concentration. So, but the point is my professor gave me this beat because he knows what I can do based on my our experience together. It wasn't to do with any of my other um, classmates. It was me, Daryl Thompson. I'm not doing what Daryl Thompson can do. Here is your grade. This is where you're at. Check yourself, figure it out. So it was, it's just this world that encourages you to be an individual. It praises your individuality and it is very, um, I found it to be kind of unforgiving, politely, but unforgiving when you strayed away from that individuality that you, at that point, you would have shown people. Because people are always going to look for you for this. And the minute you're trying to do something a little different that is not that, they're going to start to ask you about it. And if it doesn't hit home in terms of being authentic, then they'll be like, okay, that's that's cool. That's an interesting direction, sure. And they're just going to nicely pull away be like you know well, i guess conversation will probably have happy ha happening behind you but you know they want you to be you whereas i found in my caribbean experience if it's not this then what are you doing no longer groupthink there you go no <laughs> interesting <laughs> stuff interesting stuff i mean we just got a whole lesson ladies and gentlemen <laughs> in the differences in art i mean it's i know this stuff is fascinating so you, you go from, you know, uh, surrealism and realism and studying all this stuff. And uh, at, at one point you did sculpture and then you ended up, of all places, in graphic design. What, 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 what made you uh, pursue graphic design more seriously? Well, the honest, the honest reason for that was... Money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's be real. I mean, it was... Okay. So here dies my beloved dream of becoming a fine artist, a painter, and opening my art gallery that, other than showing my own stuff, was going to show all sorts of mediums and connected to a coffee shop and that vibe, and then also connected to a bookstore. And man, I'm not a reader, but I know that vibe was going to work together. I was going to figure all that out. This is literally something I saw down in my future, which is also why I included my business management minor, because I figure I kind of have to know a little something about You sound that. exactly like the dreams I had, because oh, I, I wanted to put the coffee shop with the couches. You see, exactly. Like, it gave, it, for me, it was like, all right, I have this nice gallery, and we're going to put on these amazing wine and cheese exhibitions, like once a month, once every two weeks, however the dynamic, the you know, the dynamic worked. But I also want to give people reason to keep coming around, you know, then, you know, you're sitting in the coffee shop and you're looking across at this painting like almost every day and then you're like, you know what? 
I'm just gonna buy it. You're seeing it. You're loving it. You just take it. It's gonna be just take it before somebody else does. Like, just really wanted to create an environment that was relaxing and in, in, um, inspiring, and um, all of those things um, for artists. And you know, this is back in Anguilla was my intention um, because I know what it was growing up in Anguilla as a young artist with all these bigger than Anguilla ideas and wanting nothing more but to bring them here and have people and have artists want to embark in that direction or even feel that it is comfortable for them to do that despite the judgment that they were going to get from those who just don't know any better. Um, and that dream kind of went south when 9-11 put us where we were mm -hmm. because of course when people stopped traveling they and people stopped traveling and then people stopped spending money on the less important things essentially we're gonna stop spending money on expensive pieces of artwork because we gotta keep it and we gotta do these other things so the amazing art culture in anguilla went totally downhill after 9-11 and I mean, as you know, Crispin, we had, amongst myself, we had a lot of young artists mm -hmm. that we all used to have these group exhibitions. And we did well. We created a movement for young artists in Anguilla. And all of that went downhill after 9-11 because, of course, now our lovely remote island of Anguilla, people weren't coming here. We're going to go to quicker places. We're going to go to Florida. We're going to go to Myrtle Beach. Um, well, there was, so, there, was so, there was so much uncertainty at the time in terms of travel, you know? Exactly. So that, that affected that terribly. And um, so to not get rid of that dream, but to remain in the world of creativity, which was all I would ever have wanted to do, I decided to add the visual communications um, concentration to my major. Yeah, like, so amongst all of that stuff, like when I tell you like creativity is really where I am, it's like I involve myself in a lot of other creative aspects of stuff, as you know. So it's just like, it's, it's just being in that artistic and creative realm you know even theater and all of that was just what i wanted to do but those things again suffered so while i dabbled in them i thought okay i can still maintain that part of myself but this is a bit more in demand right now mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go in this direction and funny enough in high school i did do graphic design but we did it very manually as in, you are tracing and measuring. Um, you got to be kidding paper. me. <laughs> That's what we did, Crispin. That's what we did. We had to draw our posters with piece of pencil and some 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 color pencils and markers and stuff. That's that's what we did. Do you know? I vaguely remember this now that you're saying this. Yeah, man. That's what it was. Computer what? Nope. So. <laughs> Corel draw. Corel draw who? Yeah, yeah, that, that, I mean, I hate CorelDRAW as much as I use it for my engraving business. I prefer Adobe systems, but differently than that, we didn't even have that. It was, you're going to draw it on a paper. So now you got to really know your placement and your measurements and your centering, because if that is off and you notice that way too late, well, that's rough to say the least. Because, and that for me, as a fine artist, I hated that. So it was really interesting when I chose to dabble in visual communications because I already decided I was never going to become a graphic artist. 
But at this point, of course, you know, I'm seeing this room full of beautiful IMAX and <laughs> I'm seeing these shiny screens and, um, you know, I went in there for a core class and I messed around with it and I was like, well, this is a little freer. <laughs> it's not as, you know, cut and dry and bleh as, as it was in high school. It's not so bad. So then, you know, I, I messed around with it a little bit more and then I decided, let me give this a shot. But what actually made me decide that I wanted to embark in the world of graphic design and branding design as a career was when I took a 2005 internship. And I took it at this very small two-person firm that was down on Main Street, Oneonta, where my college was. And it was called Grafica Design. And it was Grafica with a big uh, uppercase Q um, as opposed to, you know, anything else um so they really had their little typeface going for them and thanks to christopher Corot, who is who was the my mentor at the time who was the guy that allowed me to have the internship and his worker at the time susan two months working in oneonta upstate humid hot new york and they gave me specific projects to work on which also felt great you know because it was a smaller firm I wasn't pushing paper. I wasn't getting anybody coffee. I wasn't doing these things that a lot of people talk about when they go and do certain internships with, I guess, certain size companies. They, 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 threw, they threw you right in the pit. Say what now? They oh, th- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I was a graphic designer, so I had the accountability of all of that. And that was an amazing experience. So I was very fortunate with that. Um, so that was two months of that, and I really got to know them well. I got to understand that world that vibe things to look for and that's where i really got into the adobe programs and that was that was it for me at that point i was like yeah this is what's gonna happen like i'm not dropping the painting not at all but this is definitely a direction i wanted to go in so again like you know i mean the dynamic of the world in terms of education is a little different now but um it's great to go and get your degree. And I will always tell people as a person who went to college, it's definitely worth it because I know that's a whole conversation, but it is definitely worth every bit of it other than just experience and you growing as a person. But having that work experience to accompany that, it's completely priceless. So, yeah. Got it. Got I mean, these are just nuggets that you're dropping for future artists and that's why i'm like yeah yeah just preach brother because i think there's so many young ones who are artistically inclined who just don't know where to start fair enough you know i mean yeah you just gotta start to be honest just do something head in a direction but it can be very overwhelming words of wisdom from daryl thompson (laughs) 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 so daryl you have this wonderful internship you decide that graphic design is viable. It's a way to go. And you're doing well uh, in the United States. Uh, you graduate. And then you decide to go back to the tiny island. <laughs> what inspired your move back to uh, Anguilla? So I'm going to be very, very honest about that one. Um, immaturity and lack of preparedness. I did not put anything in place for me to stay in the States. Mm. Absolutely nothing. 
and that was my fault. And I thought that I could go back home for a bit and leave again. That was my mistake. Mm. <laughs> I um I did have a family business at home, which is what I now am the creative director of Allard Enterprises Limited. Um, and what I wanted to do, though, was kind of establish Alloids in a certain place, which I didn't think was going to take me very long, and then work, move back to the States, do my master's, um, or work. It was kind of either or. Um, and run Alloids remotely, because what Alloids was at the time was not something that I needed to be there for. Um, what was it at that time? It was a very, it was a much more simpler operation than it is right now. Um, it was pre-laser uh, engraving. Okay. And we mainly focused on corporate clients doing stamps um, and corporate seals and embossers for law firms, notary publics. Trophies. We did trophies, yep. And corporate gifts and sports and achievement stuff for schools and things like that. That's mainly what it was. Some small office signage here and there. So... Sports and corporate stuff is mainly what we did. And comparatively now, where we have been, you know, since we got into the world of laser engraving, you know, that just, the versatility of that, this technology and my artistic mind just, it just went to totally different levels. And <laughs> my desire and love for branding just kept pushing me into different niches and different demographics. And now we... Our biggest niche is the hospitality industry and the food and beverage industry where, you know, we do lots of really cool creative amenities for these places and branding, mainly in the luxury um, market. Nothing so, wrong with that. Yeah. Hey. Um, that, it got kind of, kind of got, you know, I couldn't come home and just kind of just exist. <laughs> it's just not me. So I... I still kept advancing per where I was. Um, you know, we got one life to live. And if I could grow myself here in Anguilla, that's what I was going to do, you know? Right. Um, and so I kind of got myself involved in that. And then getting heavily involved with growing alloys, I saw the potential. And I, of course, I became more attached to it. My intentions didn't change, but it just kept growing. <laughs> so I couldn't just kind of move off from it because it was always in a stage that I needed to be present. Was, 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 was there pressure? Like, did you feel, feel immense pressure like from your parents? Now, obviously your parents are like two successful entrepreneurs. You mentioned a restaurateur, uh, I'm sorry, a hotelier and, 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 a, and, a, and a, an accountant. Having them as owners of the business and now their son running it, did you, did you face immense pressure to sort of take it to that next level or succeed? You know, how was that having your mom and dad as your bosses? <laughs> well, I don't think, I don't think they, if, if, well, let me put it like this. No. And the reason I would say no is because I never needed anybody to put pressure on me. I never, I never gave anybody room to make me feel like I had to do something and I wasn't doing something good enough. Because I did it to myself. <laughs> gotcha. I, as I said, I, I have always been pretty ambitious. Um, and when it comes to driving the knowledge of the creative arts 
out to the world because of you know the the world I grew up in and how it was viewed I felt that as long as I could prove that being an artist you can make a living and enjoy your life and do what you want to do for a living because you like it I wanted to make sure that I could be an example and um, of that so I tried my best to show here I am being an artist in whatever capacity that I am in and I am growing and I'm making strides doing this very thing a lot of you over there didn't think I was going to be able to do because who does that you know and that's not safe and that's not secure oh I can only do that as a hobby and I was like okay good for you I live my hobby and I'm great and I'm happy with that but I always put that pressure on myself because I believed it could work and it was going to work because this is my choice in life and I don't even think that my parents would have put that pressure on me um not that I think that they needed to because of my own drive so Daryl, you went from full-time artist to uh, artist slash entrepreneur. Um, mm. Briefly tell us, give us three lessons that you've learned as an entrepreneur. First one, be prepared to try anything. And of course, not anything, but anything. <laughs> because <laughs> it's an ongoing process. It's an ever-changing, ongoing process. Entrepreneurship business is never stagnant. So you have to be ready to constantly reinvent yourself and be confident in yourself to try the new things that you're going to try. Don't concern yourself with what people are thinking necessarily, but of course, pay attention to whatever your market is so that you know you stay in that lane because one important thing about entrepreneurship is it still falls into the world of branding. And one thing that everybody needs to remember about branding is that Brands need to be predictable because uncertainty in brands kind of sends people in another direction. Like people want to be involved with you because they know what you're doing. They know what you're about. So even let's say as, as I develop my personal brand, I make sure that I show myself as a creative and a person that thinks in that direction mm. by who I associate myself with, at least on my forums, who I associate myself with, how I look um, the things I attend, that kind of stuff, how I speak, all of that. Um, you are the brand. I am the brand. An right? extension of. That, right. So, and anything that falls under me has to make sense mm -hmm. with that. I say I'm an artist, I say I'm a creative. Well, what are we doing here? Um, the second thing would be, which I still struggle with, <laughs> even up to today, be prepared to roll with the punches and to function very important quote um phrase function be functional through the chaos because that is an everyday movement i mean we all just went through two and a half to three years of some very interesting times to say the least to say the least and for us here in anguilla especially we rolled right out of recovering from hurricane irma kind of right into covid Mm -hmm. And, you know, even further on a personal level, during that time, I was going through a divorce. So there are a lot of things that would be con um, considered negative that I had to deal with. Really, really, um, you know, showing me how <laughs> strong mentally that I, I had to be um, to keep what. I had 
been working so hard to build a float so that when, and that's one thing you had to always believe, when you got by all of that, you still have something to continue working with. Not many places and businesses and folk can say that they were able to do that because it was not a very easy thing to do. A lot of businesses closed down. Some people had to completely reinvent themselves just to keep and get by. And trust me, there were things that I had to do to keep afloat. But, um, or even just trying things in new venues and um, ways of income. But to keep the business flowing and just operating and keep pushing and keeping yourself there and out there through the crazy times, through the chaos, if I can definitely say one thing that showed me that I was always headed in the right direction when it came to my um, venture in entrepreneurship was the chaos doesn't become less. It definitely becomes more. And it's, it's, it just keeps coming at you the more successful you become. It's, it, it's, that's the only thing that happens. I think what happens is that you can sense that success and sense that growth and you are hungry, your, your hunger for it increases. So you push through these things even more and you realize the balance of chaos and the balance of success and growth that you're getting. So you just, you just keep going and you have to have tunnel vision. And it de- I found for me, it developed as I just hit the ground running. I said, let me keep my head straight. Let me focus on this. And I did that. And it's like things are just happening right around you all the time that are just terrible and negative and people coming at you from left, right and center. But you have developed such a focus that you go right through it. So I don't know if I probably said like five things in those two things, <laughs> but... Um, no, no, lots of nuggets, man. Lots of nuggets being dropped. I mean, you're correct about having the ability to push through the chaos because as an entrepreneur, you, the chaos comes. Mm-hmm. And it comes heavy. Yep, yep. Definitely. So, so that was three. I asked you for three. Now now to the two. Uh, give us two things that you would tell, cause you, because you're you're involved in branding specifically for startups uh, through Alloids. Give us two things that new entrepreneurs should pay attention to or they should do when thinking about starting their company. Well, definitely understand who your product is for. Within that, you need to understand who you want to market your product to. And you, for me, you got to start with who it's for because you got to be real with yourself about that. And it's one thing to to understand the business that you're getting in, but never decide it for yourself. I have seen the power of a second and a third opinion. Um, for example, with partnerships, I don't believe in equal partnerships in terms of even numbers of people involved in a business. I believe in odd ones because for the function and the moving on of a company, you could have two people that agree with one thing and the one person doesn't. Guess what? We're going to move forward. We're going to give it a shot. If it doesn't work, maybe then we'll now take a stab at what partner number three suggested. Maybe that'll work better. But the point is, I find that when you have equal, if you have a, if you have like equal um, sides in, in an agreement for whatever that decision may be, then you guys are hung. And then that's where situations get weird. And that's when people are like, you know what, forget it. Or someone has to just give in, or no one does, and nobody moves anywhere. So back to saying that, to say this, you should 
ask questions. Of course, you have to be strategic about who you're asking them to because you don't want to put your business out there to everybody. Of course not. So you got to know how to ask your questions <laughs> and, of course, who to ask them to. But you definitely need to get other people's opinions um, because you don't know everything. No matter how much you think you know, you don't know it all. And another perspective, especially somebody's view who is almost completely removed from your world, because let's say they'll be a pro they'll be giving you advice based on let's say if it's a product as a consumer and you might not be able to think about it like that i know things i struggle with often because i'm a creative i sometimes forget that somebody else may not be able to think like me just because they're maybe more analytical or they're uh, an accountant and not an artist so they're not thinking like i'm thinking they don't see something hear something and it goes like that they may approach it very differently and so something may seem as a no-brainer for me in this arena, but it's completely foreign to them and vice versa. If I'm dealing with accounting, that's foreign to me. Um, so. And a lot, and a, lot of a lot of clients are analytical as opposed to creative. Oh uh, yeah, well, and then there's that. So that is a constant battle I have because I am just like, you know, this is what I think you should do. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I'll, I don't say this part. <laughs> um, but for me, when I go and I have a conversation with an accountant or I have a conversation with a doctor or a lawyer, I'm not going to sit there and tell you what you should be doing because you should know more than I do. That's why I'm here. So I do expect us to have a conversation that allows you to trust my directive. And a lot of the times, if you don't allow your brand designer to do their job, then you're going to have some hit and misses because you are not thinking that way. And of course, there are people that do have that ability, and those clients are great. They're easy because we will vibe very quickly and we'll go through it. But there's some that don't that tend to think that they do, and then <laughs> nothing ever hits home. And they, it's very hard to tell them why. I try to be very straightforward. I always try to say the honest truth at least once, because at the end of the day, when our business is wrapped up, you kind of have to know some of the options that you chose not to take and maybe why we are where we are. But yeah, with, with when it comes to starting up a business, allow yourself to be advised by other people because your business is going to be for people. So you gotta have to understand how someone may view something you're thinking, you know? And when it comes to branding, like I said earlier, under, you have, so after understanding who your product or your service is for, and then going from that point, you need to understand exactly how to output your brand in that direction. And then once you do that, you have to be consistent. There's gonna be highs, there's gonna be lows, but branding is built on familiarity, consistency, and predictability. Very important things. Mm. Successful brands are predictable. The minute you start in a direction, you need to remain in that direction because what happens is once you put that brand out there, you are no longer in control of the brand. The viewers and your consumers and your customers are now in control of that brand. They will take what you put and they're going to analyze it however they're going to analyze it and send it in whatever direction they're going to send it. You cannot stop that. Look at how, um, talk about how many designer clothing brands create certain types of clothing that they're catering to a certain demographic 
And then a certain type of person, let's say, for example, let's say, you know, a rapper comes and decides they're going to start wearing Gucci. And we now have a whole nother demographic style implemented and involved with Gucci. That maybe when Gucci started, they didn't see that, you know, but you don't get to control that. Right. You only get to maintain the le- where your product is, where you where you fit it. But your consumers are going to be who they are, and it's going to open up a whole other world. They're going to take it where they're going to go because the consumers are who control your brand, and they can only control that brand based on what you initially gave them. So consistency is beyond the key to a successful brand, and you have to understand that. Like a lot of the times, I find with my clients, a couple months go by, and then they are like, eh, "This is not working." I'm like, "It's been a couple months. You just started your business." You, nobody knows you so you have to give them something to know you got to stay the course right continue Let to build brand through build exactly. brand through yourself to how you represent yourself i, I like it yep. it's got that's how it's got to be and so think that the most successful brand right now in the world is coca-cola like 70 percent of the coca-cola brand um the coca-cola worth is in its brand 70 percent is on this thing that they've created that is not even tangible. <laughs> so can you imagine? I mean, think about that, you know. And their associations are always um, Nike is another great one because Nike is Nike, and they're consistent because they're only associations. I keep showing people like, look at who wears Nike, look at who they put their stuff in. Winners, yeah. always. Yeah. Serena, Nadal, Kobe, they always win. They don't take anyone else so they're not going to get anything else but people expecting or wanting to go in that direction because that is who they associate themselves with so that is the probably the best thing i can tell people because it's something you have to nip in the bud from the beginning and then you have to be steadfast because it can be easy to feel like i gotta change something because i don't think anything is happening but you don't you need to stay the course words of wisdom so there was the three lessons that you've learned as an entrepreneur. There's the two key things for startup brands. And give us one. So this is our three, two, one. Give us one piece of advice for brands that already exist and are looking to refresh themselves or to, to just put a new face out there. Because a lot of times we do concentrate on the new brands, you know, the startups. But there are people out there that have been in business for 10, 15, 20, 25 years that, that want to remain competitive. So from from brand guy, what can they do? Well, you, you have to be realistic about whatever your position is. So once you establish where you are, mm. uh, you can then work from that point. So let's say, for example, you are a small, you've just been getting used to the ins and outs of business and you're just you you don't have to do too much you know you're you've been around for 20 30 years you're selling stationary and then you have always gotten the business because well you're the only person here nobody else is doing this so even maybe the other competition is not doing it like you are so people know that because it's only two of you and you're doing what you got to do but then now um here comes another stationary store that while it might be a little bit more expensive, it is bringing in fresh things. Um, 
changing over the with seasons. It's not dusty. I might be telling you way too much about who I'm comparing everybody to at this present moment, but um, (laughs) (laughs) but you they they start to do that, and the problem that happens a lot with the store or the business that was there prior is that they don't they're not used to keeping their ear to the ground or paying attention to the competitors because they're never around. Even when they come up, they still like eh nothing for me to worry about so the competitor literally sneaks up and they for you know it they have all your customers because they just have a more people have a more pleasant experience going to this other place because they've seen everything that you're doing and they now know what not to do they've probably frequented your establishment and they know what they did not like about it and they maybe let's say they're a little younger so that they're more in tune with current trends and they're implementing those current trends so that their um, clientele, the demographic is probably larger than yours because they're gonna get the people that used to go to you as well as the people that have now just entered this world and now suddenly care about stationery. So a lot of the times the other business doesn't see it happening and then that's what puts them back so far. So all that being said, my advice is to, you gotta keep your ear to the ground and you gotta be realistic about what is current. You cannot sit there and be like, I too old for that. I ain't gonna waste my time going on Instagram and I ain't gonna waste my time going on TikTok or Snapchat. And mind you, I don't even mess with Snapchat, but I'm not gonna be ignorant about the fact that it is still a marketing tool. There's an audience. There is an audience. There is, and you, you cannot, cannot be ignorant to that because when you're ignorant to what is, then you're immediately setting yourself up for somebody else to just come in and grab a niche that you'll never get. And that is what I would have to say. Like, you have to allow yourself to be aware of it. It doesn't even mean you have to use it because not every business can function well on every single, for example, social media platform. Not everyone can. Some work better for others, like your your audience. And you'll only really learn that when you even embark in these directions, but you, but you can't be ignorant to it. You still gotta keep your ear to it because eventually every social network tends to reach almost every audience. Look at Instagram started. Instagram started, it was not where it was. It did not reach to people who were over the age of 40. It did not. Now it literally takes over anyone from like what? 25, 20 to almost 50 8 to 80 <laughs> there you go so i mean so tiktok is definitely doing the same thing especially as they're trying to adjust their algorithm to be more business savvy so that's just going to change um and it's just it's what's going to happen so you have to keep down with just any current trend and that's just social media i'm using as an example that doesn't take care of anything else if you're going to be competitive you have to at least have a basic knowledge of what marketing tools and what platforms and avenues there are in and around you where businesses, any business, especially your competitors, are present. And to be ignorant to that means that you're already immediately setting yourself up for failure. Now, if you're already in a position now where you have been like four, five, ten years back because you just didn't jump on that bandwagon and now you got to completely revamp yourself, that's a tougher one. Yeah. Because at that point, people have kind of already completely 
quote unquote canceled you. <laughs> so you are probably gonna have to do a complete gut out revamp, just changeover. You may even need to the the the, the, the best way to do it is to completely change your entire appearance. So you're gonna rebrand, change your whole logo. You may adjust some colors because you have to come across as a new business. You gotta, even if the name is slightly the same, you know, it has to have a fresh face. People have to understand and feel that something has changed in this company that I need to start paying attention to it again. Right. And you gotta come completely new, new brand, new logo. You gotta revamp your brick and mortar if you have one. Website gotta be different, everything. And then you have to start to get people that matter to frequent your place so that they can see what it's about and talk about it and get it into the, the society. It's a lot more that you'll have to inject if you have to do an abrupt um, rebrand like that, which is why it's always important to try to just stay up. Words of wisdom from Professor Daryl Thompson in the business sector. Speaking of uh, uh, Professor, uh, I know that you've dabbled a little bit in teaching as well. So tell us a little bit about that. One thing my friends at least would always be able to say is that I have always run away from anything involving teaching. I've never had a passion for it. And I guess because in my mind I've always thought about teaching high school <laughs> it's never been something i wanted to do i was approached once to teach at our local high school in the art department and i shut it down immediately no desire that none now i moved on from that point and i was approached by the anguilla get set program which is a program that helps startups local starting businesses get the right tools free, I believe. I don't think they charge for the program. I could be wrong. And they give you branding advice and accounting advice, you know, financial advice and marketing advice and all of those important things that you need to know as an entrepreneur just to make it work. And they do give grants and stuff if you end up winning the program or doing well in the program to, to a little, you know, a little bit of capital to kind of push towards your business. And they approached me about five years ago and asked if I would be willing to do a business, an intro to business branding lecture. And this kind of moves into another point across all the platforms and all the things that we've been speaking about in terms of growth. I, I had thought at that point, everything that I've been exposed to and stuff that I had learned, I, and I said, like, you know, I, I, I guess I can just have a conversation with someone who's interested. Um, uh, like, I want to actually hear this room as opposed to in high school, it's like, well, I got to be here, so we're going to sort this out. Because as a creative, I'm going to feed directly off of your energy and your, um, and your interests. So that right. has been one of my biggest deterrents from teaching high school or, you know, like, you're not here because you want to be here. You're here because you have to be here. I'm not saying that there's not people that don't want to be there, but a majority, like, you got to be in this class, so here you are. But, you're in this program because you want to be in this program. So when I did my very first one, the energy I got, which I was very unsure about, of course, going in, was just something else. And I was just like, wow, like people actually gave a crap about what I said. <laughs> like what I said and what I was preaching here was taken in. 
people ask questions. We had discussions. Like, I even, you know, I was fortunate to work with a couple people after that in terms of business and clients. Um, they definitely interested in it. I've, I've, I've developed some great colleagues today from all of these classes from there. So, you know, it's, it's very inspiring for me as well because I get to see and hear about people's directions, stuff that they've already done. Um, I, I, I learn just the same from that. But it was that very first class and the energy that I got which made me want to do it again and again and again. And um, I would be very much willing to grow that part of myself, um, you know, creating a basic branding course that I would approach different institutions for, something that I would like to do. So maybe that will be in the foreseeable future. Who knows? Um, because it's a very different energy when the audience or the classroom wants to hear what you're saying and is interested in it. So... Yeah, that's that's where that world is now. So, yep, a hundred percent. And speaking of teaching, and <laughs> you uh, perhaps have your most important teaching role uh, as a father. How has fatherhood changed you, or what has it taught you? <laughs> well, besides teaching you that it isn't all about you, Daryl, um, <laughs> which is something I've always known and something I've always lived funny enough I've had to kind of adjust my mindset slightly so that I give myself a little bit more time because I find that I always gave away my time so that has actually been something that I've been fighting with recently and I've actually funny enough it what what fatherhood has definitely taught me other than you're going to be giving a lot of yourself um these kids are the top priority, but it's how you approach what you consider them as a top priority and being a father. A lot of times you'll see people literally struggling, and I am very guilty of this as well, with their own movements, their own endeavors, their own happiness, because they have to give every single thing to make sure their children are happy. But what they don't think about, and this goes for any relationship, what they don't think about is Remember, your kid is looking at every single thing that you're doing. You are literally a example, a role model for your child as to who they should become when they grow up, who they should be dating when they grow up. Like for my daughter, I am the boyfriend or the husband that she wants to be. And we'll, I'll say this because this is the world we live in. For both of my children, I am an example of their partner and whoever their partner is going to be what right. race, what gender, who they're going to be. And I need, that is the pressure that you have to allow. You have to show them that while you're being there for those who you love, you have to still remember that you have to be there for yourself. You have to be happy. You have to be good within you in order for you to output that energy, especially for my son and my daughter who are literally looking at me to see how I handle anything tough that comes my way. And trust me, they look. <laughs> yeah. And they observe. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And I, I cannot, I don't shy away from struggles. Of course, they don't know every single thing that I'm going through. But I don't shy away from struggle, struggles and their knowledge um, to that because that's unrealistic. Life is about struggles. I have to show them how you 
correctly and maturely handle those things, of course, even through again, just recently got divorced. That's something that I had to remain, I had to keep a certain, and still do a certain decorum when it comes to my output with how that process went. Because I need for them to see that if this is something that is a part of their life, how they need to handle it and the best and the cleanest and the most progressive way to handle it. That was something that I definitely had to focus on during that process. They're watching every move you make. They see me work a lot. They see me push. They see me do all of that stuff. But they see me work and push in a field that I love. And this is something I'm even preaching to my daughter right now. I'm trying to get her to understand that she's fortunate to have two parents who have worked their tail off and continue to do so to provide her a life where she is in a position to do something she likes to do versus doing something she has to do. Because I told her, start to figure your life out. Experiment in certain fields. See what really resonates with you. And then begin building that so that you can make a living on it. There's no reason you cannot be happy with what you choose to do. And I told her, the older you get, the tougher that's going to be because you're going to get to a place where you're a grown-up and you have to pay bills. So... <laughs> you have to find a job. Well, whether you like it or not, they come. Do that. Exactly. So if you can be fortunate, I am very blessed that I, because I mean, again, I thank my parents for this because they saw me headed in this direction of creativity and they made sure that I had all the resources I could to develop that. So I was focused. I was in it. And if I was going to be an artist, how can I make a living as being an artist? And that's what I was fortunate to have. But they also got a clear, um, clean-cut message from me <laughs> for what I was doing as to what I wanted to do. So that was a little easier for them. My daughter's still trying to figure out those things. but And I don't doubt that she will. But it's just, you know, the, the earlier you figure that out, the better. And I even said to her, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. Life, it, that, that happens. But I think it's a mentality that you can develop by having something that you like. Go there, be passionate about it. And it's fine if down the road you, you know, develop a different passion. But I find that you approach the next thing differently if you already have this mindset like, you know, I'm going to put energy into this and let it become something. So all of those little things there, I find that I have to represent mm -hmm. in anything that I'm doing. Down to me being a healthy individual. Like my son is watching me. My kids are watching me be consistent exercising my daughter they're both athletes my daughter is very heavy into tennis right now i try my best to get her with me exercising because i need her to understand that if you're developing in this tennis track it's not just about what you do on the court it is about what you eat it is about how you eat and is about um exercising outside of that and you know i try i, I can't just go ahead and say these kinds of things to either of them and not be an example of that myself so that is encouraging my own fitness journey. And thank goodness for that, because I needed a catalyst, because we all know how tough that could be. So there's that. You know, the um, amazing lady that I'm dating right now, down to us being together. I mean, as a parent, you do not get the luxury that people who don't have kids have, <clears throat> where, you, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. We're going to date. If it doesn't work out, um, you know, I'm just going to go south. 
Well, I mean, that's what you have to do if it go, if it doesn't work out. But that's just you and their feelings that is affected. When you have children, they are now part a part of that decision. The person who you're bringing in, when you choose to introduce them, they need to be able... You, you need to be sure that this person is going to be a good influence on your children because they're now about to develop a relationship separate to you. With that with person? person. Like, yep. They will have a relationship. Like, both of my kids have their own relationships with my girlfriend. And what was so amazing to me is that me and my girlfriend spoke very clearly about, you know, being realistic. If things did not work out with us, how did that? How would that dynamic be with the kids? And I was, I told her very directly, I was like, I was never going to introduce you to my children if I did not think that they would be able to have a relationship with you post us if that were to be the case. Because you're already in their life and you're going to be an influence on them. So if we break up, that should never mean that they got to break up with you too. That's not how that should go. So it's just every single thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It matters beyond you. But at the same time, it still needs to matter so much more to you because you always have to show that sense of happiness with your choices so that your kids know that I am supposed to grow up to be happy with what I'm doing and who I'm around. And I don't need to just do this for purpose because I got to take care of this person or I have to take care of that person because that's not very appealing. If you look at a parent and you respect them and you're happy that they love you enough to make certain sacrifices for you. But if all you're seeing is your mother or father just constantly sacrificing being happy to make you happy, that's not going to encourage you to become a parent, now would it? At all. That's that. Interesting stuff. You mentioned a little earlier about your fitness journey, which segues wonderfully into my next question. All right. Past the teen years and early 20s, you've decided now to become a model. And as a dad, you're supposed to have a dad bod. But when we look at your Instagram, we're all like, this dude. Look at this dude. While the rest of us out here are struggling with the beer cake belly, this guy (laughs) is flexing his eight packs. His eight pack. (laughs) What? So tell, tell us about this whole modeling thing. How did this even come about? Well, we can thank COVID for that. <laughs> like, COVID? <laughs> COVID, I'm telling you. It was, I've, because I've, I'm a, you know, I've, I played tennis when I was in college and prior to that, as you do know. Um, and fitness has been a part of my life because of that. But, I mean, I'll be real, I was the skinniest thing ever, right? <laughs> just, that's just what that was. Yeah. But... It was during COVID when health was obviously being pushed so much more than it was prior. Um, and th- to say, prior to that, I was trying to become very consistent with exercising um, anyway. But with COVID coming into place and lockdowns, there was just a lot more time that I had. Even though I was able to work very little, but still able to work, fortunately, during COVID, um, more so just trying to keep things afloat. I had time with COVID. And honestly, to 
to reach that sense of accomplishment and that sense of purpose that I have always longed for as a creative and an entrepreneur, I needed something, something else to happen where I started to see results. I wasn't seeing a lot of results in my professional life because, well, we were all just kind of sitting around and waiting for the world to click back into place. So I had to find something that gave me results. I did some painting. That was great and therapeutic, but I needed something else. So I just kind of started to, you know, I called up my good friend, one of my best friends and namesake, Daryl Ruan, and we've always been workout partners and both of us kind of didn't have much to do. So we just got back on our fitness journey and... Oh, I, I had nothing to do, so I became brolic. <laughs> <laughs> basically what I said. Um, so, I mean, but it was that. So we just became consistent in that because, well, we had more time and we felt, you know, as, as you get into it, as you know, you, you just start to feel really good. And let me tell you, I didn't realize that I could look a certain way because I've never given that level of dedication and time to it. And once I started to see results, Crispin, it was kind of a wrap. I was just like, well, why not? Well, why not? Why wouldn't I just try to continue going in this direction and i felt good i i i uh, everything felt better the feeling was good um i like the way i look and therefore these are all reasons for me to continue doing this very thing yeah gotcha. after a couple you know half naked shots on instagram um i did start to get some the, attention the brands the brand started knocking it did and so you know um started doing a couple of shoots here and there um with my um a lot of them with my current girlfriend marinka and we started to get some more and more attention and you know i'll be honest with you um i was like okay well i'm doing this because it is the healthy choice i'm 37 years old that's not exactly heard of um in this kind of direction in at this age and, and heading in the age I'm going. So I'm just like, okay, well, if this is something that I could do, I'll milk it while I can, because <laughs> it's not going to last very long. I, I mean, I don't know. It's not going to last forever. I'm not getting younger. But I was like, all right, if um, this is working, and we did some great stuff, me and my clients. I was very impressed with some of the things that, some of the output that we were able to do. You know, I was, I impressed myself. I didn't think that I could do and look the way I'm looking. But I think what helped me and helps me continually is the fact that I'm now on the other side in branding. I'm not mm. or developing the content with you and creating it and putting it out there. I am a part of the content. So gives it a different perspective. Exactly. And I know that because of me understanding it from the other end, I know what to do and how to do it. Right. I've had loads of photographers and videographers tell me that this is very natural for you. Um, this is real quick. We knock it out quickly because you guys are easy. You are easy to work with. I mean, and I would hear them say that. And I would say, I guess so, because I immediately imagine myself in front of the camera. I imagine what I want to see when I see that end result, because I know what I need to see because I'm usually on the other end. And not even just behind the camera, but like far behind the camera. Like my client is going to send me this content if I'm not the one 
directing or staging the content myself, which does also happen. So it, it's like they, they go very hand in, hand in hand. So that is that for me makes that a little simpler. Um, but, you know, it just kind of kept coming and I was very fortunate for it to happen. And, you know, um, of course, I make everybody know because surprisingly, there are people that somehow think, you know, I do these things for free. Um, no, <laughs> that is just comical, to be honest. But um, I, wor- I worked, know, I worked out this much to look this good for free, <laughs> yeah, so that I could no, post for it, free. It's, it's if if it's not, it's a business. It's something I'm I'm doing, and I'm definitely selling <laughs> you myself. Will will you'll pay? That's gonna happen. Let's be real. Um, but it's been pretty good. I've gotten some really cool opportunities, and I've met some amazing people. <laughs> Um, so I am enjoying it to be honest. Every, every day, every day I turn around and there's Daryl Thompson again this week. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting down looking at YouTube and of course, because of my affiliation with the island, of course, um, mm-hmm. you know, I get commercial sometimes and I see a commercial from, uh, Cap Jaluka and I'm looking at the commercial, uh, well, I- tourists are on the beach, people are having a good time with wine. Here comes Daryl. Yeah. I was like, this guy, this guy's everywhere. <laughs> that one turned out really nice. I was very, I did like that. That was a fun afternoon. I bet it, it looked like a lot of fun. So tell me yeah. a couple more questions. Um, you have worked with several brands in Anguilla and several, you, you're sort of Mr. Anguilla when it comes to, to, all, to, to, to all things adventure and et cetera. What are some of, and I think you mentioned to me uh, in in private that you have a cluster. You can't pin it down. But I was just curious, what is your favorite or favorite cluster of restaurants on Anguilla? Which is, the, you know, the island is known for its culinary delights. Right. Just, just curious, from, from your, uh, in your opinion, what are some of your faves? Well, like I said, it, 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 um, in our conversation, it is really about the mood that I'm in. Straight up, when I want a good burger, I have two spots. I'm going to go to Roy's, Bayside Grill, because their burgers are pretty unmatched, in my opinion, on the island. Especially the fact that and you huge. can get them on a Johnny Cake. And huge. <laughs> it's a wrap. Like, burgers, Roy's. My second favorite place for burgers would definitely be Ferry Boat Inn. You try the Dutty Burger. The Dutty Burger. Thing. What's yes, in a Dutty Burger? <laughs> well, no question named after the man himself, Christian Dutt McLean, as he is known as, who's also the manager and owner of Ferryboat Inn. But this burger man has everything that is maybe somewhat allowed to be put on a burger, on the burger from jalapenos to eggs to bacon to blue cheese to caramelized onions just i'm sure i'm missing things it's the kind of burger that once you pick up you're not putting down until you're done because it's just not gonna be it together again um, so so after a dutty burger what's what does what your workout look like the next day <laughs> oh it doesn't change at all <laughs> i am fortunate to still have that high metabolism oh my goodness i burn it off because i'll tell anybody 
that um, in addition to the fact, by the way, I'm a big advocate of intermittent fasting. A um, couple things that they sold that sold me was one, it's a great way to reset your immune system. Two, um, I don't really get sick at all since I started doing that, so I was like sold. Um, and then two, you can kind of almost eat what you want. Um, not saying go eat crap though, but you can kind of almost eat what you want. The thing is, if your body is already uh, uh, has a high metabolism, you're gonna burn off whatever you put in it pretty fast. So. I always tell people health and fitness is a lifestyle and not just something you decide you're going to do now. It's who this you is are. True. This is true. Once you're consistently eating right and you're consistently exercising or whatever that exercise may be, your body is going to adapt to that. And then you can enjoy your burger from time to time and your greasy pizza. And it's not going to do anything to you because your body's just going to process it and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Now you can't eat it every single day. It'll be a little different, but it's just it's you know like I try to always tell people when you get to the other side of that struggle, getting to the healthy lifestyle part, it is now exactly that your lifestyle, and you can enjoy your life. You can go have a drink here and there. You know, it's not over. Life is not over, and you feel ten times better when you get to that place. So, yeah. That's quite what it true, is. quite true. So wait, you back up. You told us about the burgers. Any any local spots mm-hmm. or seafood spots that you enjoy? I seafood spots. Um, I mean, the place that I would rate as a seafood spot, I will go to um, for that is Ron Nakana in the Keys in Island Harbor, or should I just say the Keys? Because I think. People from Island Abba would not agree with me. <laughs> um, but the Keys, it is, I don't know if it's open every day now. I think I heard some conversation about that happening. But I know on Sundays, they do this amazing seafood breakfast. And I'm talking about everything you could think of. I'm not a selfish fan, but I know most people are. And I usually get my Caribbean card revoked because I say that. But from <laughs> saltfish to stewed wilkes, stewed conch, um, fried fish, snapper, uh, shark, just, I mean, whatever they can get, they have. And go early because when it's out, it's out. But it is, man, it is worth every bit of waking up early on a Sunday morning. It's, even if you went out the night before, it's great. So that would be a place I would rate highly when it comes to seafood. Um, other places, for example, I'm a big fan of Italian and to date, the best Italian we have in Anguilla is Dolce Vita. And I am a huge gnocchi fan. And I, I try not to just only go there and eat the gnocchi because I just, I don't really get it anywhere else. And I just like it a lot. But I'm a huge fan of Dolce Vita. So I will always recommend Dolce Vita for people who feel like they want to get a little taste of Italy. Um, yeah. And they, should, they should hire you for, at the tourist board. I agree. <laughs> I am with you on that. <laughs> so, no, and, but otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's a mood, you know? No, definitely, definitely. After all is said and done, Daryl, yep. and all these adventures that you've had, I've got two questions for you. The first, I'll, I'll, I'll answer one by one. What does success look like to Daryl Thompson? Happiness and security. Mm, lovely, lovely, lovely. I fully believe in 
insecurity because I don't think we're just here to just work and pay bills. <laughs> I do not, even though that's how it seems to be a lot <laughs> nowadays. But, and it's not necessarily about becoming the richest person in the room, you know, that that is not it at all. For me, I want to be very happy with all the things that I am doing from leisurely to professionally, family-wise, relationship-wise, just all of it. I want to be happy. I want to know I'm doing something that makes me feel good and is going to add value to my life and the people in my life. And security across the same board, you know, the people being in my life making me feel secure because of our developing and already established relationships. And also, of course, feeling comfortable being able to live a life I want to live. So that is, for me, that is what success looks like. If you're in a place where you don't have to think too much about what you're doing from day to day, because you might, you know, this person may turn their back on you or you may deplete certain funds and then suddenly you got to revamp your whole life, then there is no reason, I think, for anybody to not feel successful because that in itself is a huge blessing and a huge achievement. Mm-hmm. I'd say they have. What would you say to, not you know, after all these accomplishments, you've actually won awards. I, 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 I didn't even mention you were one of the 40 under 40 mm-hmm. persons that are doing their thing globally uh, in terms yeah. of Hardwick alumni. Congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you. Um, now, after all is said and done with all the awards and the accolades and the accomplishments, what would you say to 16-year-old Daryl? What would you tell that little guy? Ah, uh, 16-year-old Daryl. Um, well, I will say, good job, 16-year-old Daryl, for not allowing certain high school peer pressures to dictate what you wanted to do and who you wanted to be. Mm. I will say that. It is, as we all know, high school can be brutal. And I was not the popular kid. (laughs) Um, And fortunately enough, I never cared to be the popular kid because I always valued authenticity. And I knew very few people that were themselves as the popular kids. Um, They felt that they had to put out a certain image. And when I got to know some of those same kids, you know, in like one-on-one, they're different people and for me i always i always felt sorry for those people my parents always 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 taught me how to be myself no matter what and i was i've always been fortunate to, to do that and yeah, i took up i took a lot of flag i got teased i got this but fortunately those things i let go right over my head so i will say to 16 year old daryl good job for being who you are always despite what was around you and the pressures. And no, it was not easy at all. But I I will have to pat myself on the back for that. And I would say, keep doing that. Keep being secure in who you are. And don't let anybody make you think that you are not who you're supposed to be. Hmm. Like it. Like it a lot. Like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yep. 
questions that the question that I ask everybody. What is the next big thing for Daryl Thompson? Huh. That's a great question. I want to ask that as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> I uh, I always have stuff that I'm dabbling in and working on. I'm also very particular about releasing those details prematurely. Mm-hmm. So, but what I can say about things that to me are beyond obvious at this moment I am very interested in um, my company Allard Enterprises Limited it's a company that has shown some amazing growth and strides and it has enormous potential and right now one of my biggest focuses is allowing that potential to come to fruition and growing it Um, reaching out to new avenues I'm fortunate to say that um we are not just a local, our clientele are not just local. I have clients as far as the United States. I have clients across the region, um, regular clients, you know. Um, and for me, especially in a place like Anguilla, given how challenging it can be to export things, that is a huge achievement. And I'm very fortunate and grateful that these companies like our stuff here at Alloids that my team and I are producing so much to come to us. They can go anywhere else, but they're coming to us. So that tells me a lot. So I am definitely trying to increase our clientele regionally and globally. Um, And I do think that is very achievable. Besides that, I am reestablishing myself slowly as a fine artist, I am trying to dabble in my watercolors at least once a week so I can, you know, kind of break off the little crust there. And um, I'm loving that. If you, don't, if you don't use it, you lose it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And I'm loving that a lot. And just allowing myself to fall right into different avenues of creativity, remembering things that I used to do before. Um, getting myself involved in stuff like that. Um, yeah, anywhere that I can help and even put forward my own experiences as I'm doing now as an entrepreneur, as an artist, I want to to grow in those capacities because I do feel it's very important while you're growing to share those experiences with others because it just makes it easier for them to dodge <laughs> or do better and... Uh, I think that's an important thing to give, an important way to give back as any individual. So, so yeah, just growing in the world of creativity. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, that's the next big thing that you're going to do. But when you're 105 years old and you're perched on your porch overlooking the ocean, uh, perhaps Meads Bay where you grew up, on, 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 on the veranda, as they say in the Caribbean, on the veranda of your mansion <laughs> overlooking the water, what would you say is that thing that you wanted to accomplish and that you did accomplish? What is Daryl Thompson's ultimate dream? I would have to say that I, I may have already achieved my ultimate dream, to be honest. And my ultimate dream is my, I would say, my confidence and security. Mm. Because... Again, like I tell you, growing up and being in high school, 
those things are challenged constantly, especially as a teenager, especially by those that I would say now were definitely very threatened by just the lack of movement that I would have when people would choose to find ways to break me down. Um, confidence and security within oneself is, I think, something that, well, not I think, I know, most people struggle with. We'll, we can output a lot. We can be very surface about how we feel and what we're doing, what we put out on social media, all of those kinds of things. But it's what's, what, what is really going on with you. And I feel that the energy that you give off when you are secure in you, me, Daryl Thompson, is very different to the energy that one is putting off on that acting or that fake level. And I am very blessed and fortunate to say that I am very comfortable in my own skin. I am comfortable with who I am. And therefore, because of that, I have found when I feel that that really happened, I saw a change in my growth and my success and the opportunities that came my way and the people that came into my life, the caliber of people, just all of it. That all changed when I established my real sense of security and allowed myself to keep certain negativity within avenues and within people away. So that, so I say I think I've achieved it is because I think that confidence and that security in myself is what is and will continue, I believe, to let me grow. So wherever that takes me, I will just, I'm always going to, as I've been, I hope to always be better than I was the day before and the day before. So at 105, if, if I continue in that direction, I mean, I, I could be fortunate to, to hey, that, that's got to look amazing, right? So, yeah. yeah. This, this guy's answers, I'm telling you. So, Daryl, <laughs> you've listened to the podcast before. And, and so we and so we find ourselves here. This is where I strap on my spacesuit and I go into into the atmosphere, atmosphere, and I leave you on the planet all alone. Daryl Thompson, the planet is yours. Say whatever it is you want to say to the audience. Man, where do we go from here? Everybody, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk about myself. Um, it was. Um, I, I always, you know, I wanted to make sure that anything you hear is just going to be inspira um, inspirational and is only going to drive all of your listeners, all of you guys, Planet 30, to just be the best versions of yourself. I have definitely learned, like I said before, being comfortable with who you are, being honest with yourself will take you so far. And that has to be the basis of everything that you're doing. Authenticity, holding yourself accountable, being an honest person, keep that energy. And you're only going to bring that energy. You'll only bring those types of people. You'll only bring those types of um, opportunities. And you'll best be able to weed through those that, are, that don't fit that mold. And you'll be happy because you will be you. And being you is ultimately what it needs to be about. So thank you, Planet 30. Thank you. 
Most important question of the day, Daryl, how do we contact you? How do we follow you? How, how can people continue along the, the Daryl journey? Ah, uh, well, hey, if you guys are any, let's see, not any social network, but you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, and LinkedIn. And my handle is at Daryl C. Thompson. So you search me there. You will find all of my areas. I'm most frequent on Instagram. Um, and from there, you're going to see in my bio and basically things that I show, um, a lot of the other things that I'm involved with, my businesses, my laser engraving and design business, my branding design company, um, my artist portfolio, my model portfolio, just all that stuff is there for you to also take a look at and dabble in. But it all starts at Daryl C. Thompson. Daryl C. Thompson. Daryl C. Thompson, I cannot thank you enough for appearing on the Planet 30 podcast and dropping gem upon gem upon gem. Uh, I appreciate that, Chris. I, I've, as, I, as I've said, I've been a huge fan of the podcast and everything that I've been hearing on it. Very inspiring stuff. And, you know, even hearing some interviews from some of my past colleagues and classmates and understanding where they are now and how it and what it took for them to get here just amazing stuff so um i am honored to meet the criteria to be joining this elite group of businessmen and entrepreneurs and creatives so thank you for this of course of course graphic designer fine artist entrepreneur daryl c thompson this has been planet 30 Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.